session is not so much about divorce in a sense as it is about uh, exceptions. It's about um, the question of remarriage and so on. It's, uh, it's dealing with some of the traditional teaching of the church that sometimes doesn't take these things into account. But we still need to take it in context with Jesus' larger teaching on divorce. The way God made us, he didn't make our hearts to have to endure betrayal. And most of us who've experienced betrayal in, in some sort of relationship know that it's a very painful thing. And that's something Jesus wanted to, to prevent. So Jesus has very good reason for calling for security, commitment, covenant in marriage. But today we're going to be talking about the other side of it because covenant involves two people. What happens when one person opts out? What, what happens to the other person? And so on. Jesus is clear that we should nurture, preserve, and where possible restore marriage. But uh, let's, let's begin looking at the texts. Mark chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. First, I want to notice what it says against her. Again, it's not a matter of, of um, just an arbitrary rule. It's because God cares about us. It's, it's a matter of wrong, wronging someone. It's a matter of betraying someone. In the case of the, uh, the Pharisees who brought up this question to Jesus to begin with in the context in Mark chapter 10, there were two schools of Pharisees. One school of Pharisees, the Shemites, said that a man could divorce his wife for the cause of her being unfaithful. The Hillelites, however, said that a man could divorce his wife if she burned the bread, if she burned the toast. And, and the wife, once divorced, uh, in that society was a severe economic disadvantage. So there were a number of reasons why this betrayal would have hurt the wife. But what does it mean when Jesus uses the word adultery here? What does the word adultery mean when we use it literally? When we use it literally, it's something like, well, Dedrick is married to Shonda, but he runs off with Shamika. Uh, he commits adultery with Shamika, even though he's married to Shonda. He likes women whose names begin with SH. Jesus says it's not just adultery if he's married to Shonda and sleeps with Shamika. He says it's also adultery if he divorces Shonda and marries Shamika. The question here is, is Jesus using adultery literally or is he using it hyperbolically? Now that's an important question because when you go through Jesus' teachings, he uses hyperbole so often that somebody who just automatically dismisses the possibility that he's using hyperbole here needs to spend, I think, more time reading Jesus' teachings. But Jesus often uses hyperbole. He uses hyperbole in the very context of one of these divorce sayings. Uh, also, we have exceptions uh, that are noted in the New Testament. And also, the very context of this particular divorce saying leads us to believe that this is hyperbole. Hyperbole is rhetorical overstatement, a graphic way of making your point, but not meant to be taken um, legally, literally. In, in all respects. So we need to look at the context of this. 
Jesus often used hyperbole. Um, that can be easily illustrated. Most of his early followers didn't move literal mountains. Most Pharisees didn't gulp down a camel hole. And it was pretty hard to squeeze not just a rich person, but anybody, uh, like a camel getting through the eye of a needle. Uh, some of those actually were hyperboles that were known within the culture. And some cases, Jesus is using uh, hyperbole that wasn't already known in the culture. In Matthew 5.32, Jesus talks about uh, remarriage being adultery, talking about faithfulness to your, to your marriage. But the very context of that includes some hyperbole. For example, in chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman to desire her sexually has committed adultery with her in his heart. And I usually tell my students, I, I know that none of you have done this, because if you had, I'm sure you would have followed the, the remedy that's specifically stated for this in the text. In, in the next few verses, it goes on to say that if you have a problem with this, then you should rip your eye out. And since my students normally have both of their eyes, I understand that they probably never committed this. No, we understand that this is hyperbole. It's a graphic way of driving home the point. And Jesus drives home the point in a graphic way in this case also. In John chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus doesn't say to the woman at the well, you were married once and you've been living with five men since then. He says, you've been married five times and you're not married to the person with whom you're living now. Now, of course, we can say, well, he didn't mean that literally. Well, we can say that, but in one case or the other, he doesn't mean it literally. We can't take both sayings completely literally. We have to decide which one is meant completely literally. In Matthew 5.32 and 19.9, Jesus makes an exception for the innocent party. If, if the um, wife has been committing adultery with someone, then the man is, is free. Now, some people say, well, the word there isn't, uh, doesn't specifically mean adultery. Uh, and they try to make it more specific than adultery. But in fact, the Greek term that's used there is broader than adultery. And there's nothing in the context that limits it to something narrower than adultery. So for, th for the cause of the other person breaking the covenant, uh, it's permitted. But if the innocent party is no longer married to the guilty party, how, pray tell, can the guilty party still be married to the innocent party? That would suggest to us that this is hyperbole, that, that um, marriage is not something we should dissolve, but it doesn't mean that it's something that's ontologically impossible to dissolve. It's like not saying that if the other person dissolves it, you, you are not free. Also, Paul cites this saying of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 7 and applies it to normal situations, but then he has to deal with an exceptional situation, an extreme kind of situation. What happens if the other person isn't following the teaching of Christ, they're not a believer, and they leave? And under Greek and Roman law, uh, either party had the right to divorce, and uh, the other person couldn't stop it. So Paul says, what happens if the other person walks out of the marriage? In chapter 7 and verse 15, Paul says, the believer is not under bondage in such cases. Now, in the context of divorce, which this is, in divorce contracts, that always meant that the person was free to remarry. To not be under bondage meant freedom to remarry. 
so in 1 Corinthians 7.15, explicitly, given the way the Greek language works in the specific context of divorce contracts, Paul is saying that the believer who has been wronged, who is the innocent party, is free to remarry. And I suspect that there may be analogous kinds of situations today that didn't come up that Paul had to address in that letter, which would be something like uh, physical abuse and so on. But the point is, uh, both of these exceptions have something in common. And what they have in common is that you're not breaking up your marriage. The other person is the one breaking up the marriage. So Jesus is not giving us permission to break up our marriage. But Jesus um, also is not punishing the person whose marriage is broken against their will. Also the context of the verse that we started with, Mark chapter 10 and verse 11, the context in Mark chapter 10 and verse 9, what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. If what Jesus really meant was you can't put it asunder, that uh, if you pretend to put it asunder it's just adultery, then he said the wrong thing here. Because here he doesn't say that it's impossible to break it apart, Rather, he gives us a command that we should not break it apart. All this leads us to believe, given everything else the New Testament says about divorce, given everything else Jesus says about divorce, that the language of remarriage being adultery is hyperbole. It's a rhetorical overstatement. The point of hyperbole is not so we can say that's just hyperbole, we, we will ignore it. The point of hyperbole is to drive home a point so we take it very seriously, so we work to nurture and preserve and insofar as possible, restore marriages. The narrowness of the explicit exceptions reminds us that Jesus wants us to value and be committed to marriage. At the same time, sometimes churches have abused those who are the innocent parties. Remember what Jesus said. He said, Moses allowed you to divorce because of the hardness of your heart. You missed the point of what it was about. And I think sometimes by proof texting a verse here and a verse there from Jesus, not taking them in the larger context of what Jesus actually said, sometimes because of the hardness of our hearts, we take the innocent person that Jesus was defending and we become their oppressors just like the person who has betrayed them. Mm -hmm.